Well, good morning, everybody. Nice to be with you. Uh, Trent, thank you for how gracefully uh, you led us in prayer this morning. And just for that image of blowing the roof off the church through praise and uh, prayer. Uh, Well, thank you for venturing out today uh, in this weather. It's great to have you with us uh, here in person. And for those who are watching online, uh, thank you for joining us. I've always been attracted to one particular uh, characteristic, one particular trait of Jesus. And it's his humility. And the passage of scripture that Shamal Ranasinga read to us so well, so beautifully, uh, was all about Jesus' humility and how we need to um, imitate that same humility in the way that we live. And that passage that Shamal read tells us that Jesus, even though he was God, didn't cling to his divinity. He he was always divine, but he didn't cling to his rights and his privileges, his prerogatives as God, but he divested himself. He emptied himself when he came to earth. He became a man, a human being. More than that, he became a servant of each one of us. He came to serve and then to give his life on the cross for our sins. Humility, I think, is one of the most remarkable traits of Jesus Christ when you think about who he really is. Humility is something we're supposed to have. Amen? Humility is not a personality trait. Humility is a choice Nobody is born humble. Humility is something that we choose. It is a virtue of being a Christian. Um, I have to tell you that if it wasn't for the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and the fruit of the Spirit that He wants to keep uh, having me bear more and more every day, um, I am not naturally humble. I know I'm not, and probably neither are you. None of us was born humble. None of us is naturally humble. Humility really is a Christian virtue. And I know for myself, um, when I get overworked, tired, and stressed, that's when I begin to think dark thoughts. That's when I I, I can so easily fall into uh, self-pity and uh, thoughts of grievance um, and sometimes maybe feeling unappreciated or underappreciated and not getting my due. And it's in those times that I can become petty. I can become irritable. Um, I can become envious of the success of others. And it's in those times that I want to push my way to the front of the line. It is only the work of Jesus in my life that can help me learn to practice humility and servanthood. So I find that when I walk daily with Jesus, that's what it means to follow him. Every day I follow him, I find that he gives me the grace to follow the way of the cross, to be humble. And I'm reminded that I need to be able to say what John the Baptist said when Jesus kind of took over and John the Baptist knew that he was going to leave and that he was going to die and Jesus was going to pick up the mantle. And he said, he must become greater I must become less. That is my prayer. And when that happens, he shows me how to be open-hearted. 
and he shows me how to be welcoming to everyone. So I want you to do a little diagnostic test for a second, okay? Let's just uh, have a little bit of fun. Uh, actually, maybe this won't be fun. But anyway, give it a try. Uh, so just put your, your two fingers on your pulse here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't do that. Okay, uh, first of all, how do you respond when someone else gets promoted ahead of you? Think of your work. How do you respond when someone else maybe gets a leg up on you? Can you celebrate their accomplishment? What if you don't get the recognition that you think you deserve? Or when, when you feel sometimes unappreciated or unfairly criticized, how do you handle that? How do you treat people who don't belong to your tribe? Are you quick to criticize people, maybe from other churches, or people who seem to have more success than you do? Do you spend more time trying to impress others with your achievements? Or are you content to be in a place of simple service and let God promote you? So what I want us to do is take a look at Mark's gospel. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, uh, I want you just to open to Mark chapter 9. And we're going to begin looking at it from around verse 33. Now you know that by the time we get there, I'm not going to do a big recap of where we've been in the gospel of Mark, except to say that Jesus has been predicting his suffering. He's been telling them, and this, right before we get to verse 33, Jesus was telling the uh, disciples, he's reminding them, I am going to be betrayed um, and I am going to be mocked and ridiculed. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die and then I'm going to rise again. And they, they just didn't understand and they didn't want to understand what he was trying to say. But then after this, he and his disciples returned to Capernaum, which was kind of like, it was right on the Sea of Galilee, and it, it was really his headquarters, Capernaum. And so then we get to Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 33. And some of these verses will come up on the screen, and uh, uh, some won't. But anyway, let's just begin reading here. It says in verse 33, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who, which of them was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and he said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. They're arguing about who's the greatest among them. And he said, if you want to be great, choose to be last. If you want to be great, become a servant of all. And then he takes a little child. And he takes this child in his arms and he says, verse 37, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. The disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. When Jesus asked them, hey, what are you guys talking about? He knew what they were talking about. But they were embarrassed. They were humiliated. They, they were ashamed. And so they didn't even say anything. They didn't want him to know. And in the fact that they were arguing like this shows how tone deaf they really were. These are the 12 disciples. And they didn't get it. So don't be so hard on yourself when you don't get it. Because these things are only revealed by the Spirit. And so Jesus begins to explain that greatness begins with humility. He tells them that you, if you want to be great, 
Choose to be a servant. That is the way of the cross. Choose humility. Self-promotion is antithetical. It, It is completely contrary to the kingdom of God. But in their day, it was not unusual to brag and to boast in order to get ahead, to posture yourself, to get a leg up. But Jesus is doing something countercultural, and he said, No, that's not how you get ahead. Choose to be a servant. And so Jesus then enacts kind of a living parable. He takes this child, and you have to know in the, in, in the ancient world, children were not looked upon as, Oh, aren't they sweet? Aren't they just so cute? It wasn't like that. Children really were of no account. They had no rights. Children were to be ignored. And that's why later in Mark chapter 10, when parents brought their kids to be blessed by Jesus, and the disciples said, no, 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 leave him alone. He's got more important things to do. They didn't understand. And so Jesus takes this child, and he says to them, that you need to humble yourself like this child, and you need to welcome this child. That's what the kingdom of God is all about, is welcoming the little ones, welcoming those who are of no account in the eyes of the world. So this child is a reminder that the people who seem unimportant, the little ones, are especially honored in our father's eyes to welcome a little child a person of no status was a risk to their status because you know people will judge you by who you hang out with and and it would have been maybe a little bit embarrassing to hang out with the wrong people if you wanted to be promoted you wanted to to hang out with the right crowd, to be with the beautiful people. And they, they were not above that. And often we're not above that either. Abraham Lincoln, is. Uh, this is attributed to him. He said, no man stands so tall as when he stoops to help a child. When you see a child, and we have many children in our church, we don't need to hi there, Johnny, how are you? Just get down there, eyeball to eyeball. Look them in the eyes. And let them know that they're important. Jesus teaches us that. So in God's kingdom, and this is really what this passage is all about. In God's kingdom, everybody matters. The child represents people who are vulnerable or who are of low rank. When we welcome the little ones, it reminds us to treat that the way that we treat the least in our society is how we are treating Jesus. Jesus reminds his disciples that the kingdom of God is not about self-promotion. It's not about power. It is not about wealth. It's about welcoming people whom society has cast aside, people who are considered not worth our attention. And doing it for Jesus' sake. So the disciples were really no different than you and me. And they were just as, they could be just as petty and self-interested as you and me. And so here's what happens. In verse 38, 
And all of this is connected in these verses. In verse 38, it tells us that the Apostle John, okay, I got to find my place here. Look at this, verse 38. This is the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote the three epistles, first, second, and third John. He wrote the book of Revelation. And this is what the Apostle John, who is one of the sons of thunder, he says, teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we, we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. Aren't you proud, Jesus? Hmm. John the Apostle was the one who, when some Samaritans in a Samaritan village wouldn't believe in Jesus wouldn't, and wouldn't welcome them as his disciples, he said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven? so that they will be destroyed? He wanted to do that. He, he's, he and his brother James, later on, and you'll read about this in Mark chapter 10, they were the ones that said, they came with their mom, and they said, Jesus, can you arrange it so that when you establish your kingdom that we can sit on your right and on your left and in the positions of power and authority? That's the kind of person he was at that time. And the other disciples, too, they, they, they wanted to stop this guy who was doing ministry in the name of Jesus because he wasn't one of us. Notice, one of us. He wasn't of our tribe. Maybe he was a threat to their status. And so because he wasn't one of the 12, they thought he should not be doing these things, even though he was doing good things. He's not one of us. It's kind of interesting, in the Old Testament, uh, this is found in Numbers chapter 11. So, uh, there's a story about Moses. Moses is leading the people of Israel, and he's getting real worn out. People are complaining in the desert. They don't have enough food. They don't have enough water. And he is just overwhelmed. And so the Lord says, choose 70 elders from the people of Israel, from, the, from the nation. Choose 70 elders and, and call them to a meeting. And so he calls them into this meeting, and he says, uh, God is going to put his spirit upon you and you are going to prophesy and then you're going to help me lead these people. And here's what happens. There were two elders, Medad and Eldad, who were not there in that meeting. They also received the spirit of God and they were in the village and guess what they were doing? They were out prophesying and they were doing good stuff. And what happened was people began to complain. They're not one of the 70. They're not one of them. And even Joshua, Moses' right-hand man, said, Moses, you must tell these two to stop. And Moses said, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Don't stop them. They're doing a good thing. That's good. It's not about you. It's about the work that needs to be done. And that's why Jesus said of this man who was casting out demons in his name, he said, whoever is not against us is for us. So don't stop him. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. This guy was ministering in Jesus' name. And so Jesus is saying, guess what? He's not against us. 
He's an ally. He's working with us. You may not know him, and he may not be one of the 12, but he's important in the work that God wants to do in the world. So Jesus validates this guy's ministry. While the disciples drew a line in the sand and they said, he can't cross that line. He's not one of us. Jesus drew a large circle around that guy that included him. He widened the circle of influence. And then Jesus adds this comment, verse 41. He says, truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water, a small act of kindness, just giving a a cup of cold water in my name, just that little act of kindness, he said, because you belong to me, he said, that person will certainly not lose his reward. In God's kingdom, everybody matters. And every act of kindness is noticed by our Father in heaven. It, it could be a cup of cold water. It could be a, a sandwich or a hot meal. It could be some clothes. It could be shelter, some financial aid. It could be a, a lot of things. Please, don't ever disparage your small acts of kindness that never get on the news. And don't get noticed. Your Father in heaven notices, and he will reward you. So even the smallest act of service in Jesus' name, no matter who does it, is worthy in the sight of our God. And that's the attitude we need in our world today. Because we're living in a time when there's a lot of division, and there's a lot of posturing going on. And there's a lot of boasting going on. There's denominational divisions, doctrinal divisions, racial divisions, uh, social divisions, national, liberal, conservative, charismatic, non-charismatic, young, old. And the thing that we need to keep in mind is that we are all one in Christ Jesus. And we've all been made to drink of the one spirit. It doesn't matter how different we are on the human level, socially or politically. We all bow before our Father in heaven. So in this passage, passage Jesus is opposing uh, this sort of party spirit, partisanship. I read this in a commentary this week. That it is the divine message and not the messenger that is important. We need to make sure that we don't become envious of those who are doing the work of God just because they're not one of us. And the fact is, you know what? God is at work all over the world. And it, by the way, what did you think of that video on the alabaster offering? That was fantastic. You know, the, little, the coins and the little dollar bills, or $5 bills that we put in this little church, uh, that made that possible for a church to thrive, for a school to be built, for children to be educated, and hospitals and so on. And so the little small bit that you put in there makes a difference. And your father notices it. God is at work all over the world, and it isn't just with the church of the Nazarene. And we need to celebrate what the Pentecostals are doing and what the Baptists are doing 
We can rejoice with them. We don't need to be jealous. So the question is, how can we partner with them? How can we pray for them? Don't you love it when you hear it? Maybe we need to do this, Trent, is we need to maybe just start praying for a church every Sunday. Just pick a church in the city somewhere and just say, we're going to pray for that church. Speaking of that, we recently uh, had a workshop here for our music teams. So the people that are, uh, that are here leading worship, the people in the back, thank you uh, to our production team in the back, uh, and all the people that serve behind the scenes here on the platform, we, we said, we're going to invite a church in our city who really do this well and get them to come and just help us take it to the next level. And so on January 29th, on a Saturday morning, this church came. And I remember asking, I said, so how much would it, would it cost for us to bring you in? Because they were going to come in, you know, with their music pastor and other pastoral staff who are all part of their music ministry. And they were going to come in and, and help us. And, and I said, what would it cost? And they said, no, 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 we don't want the money. We just feel like we're sister churches here and we just want to come and help. And they came in and they did an amazing workshop for us. And you know what I got? I got a lengthy email that week, later that week. We got a lengthy email from them, a follow-up just saying how much they enjoyed it and thanked us, thanked us for the privilege of letting them come. And we've been in touch with them since, and we're going to be doing more things with them hopefully in the future. But here's what I wanted to mention to you. That's the kind of spirit that we need in God's church. And that's what the disciples were lacking at that time. You know, it's not about command and control. It's not about who gets the credit. It's like sharing the wealth with one another. And so ministry needs to be decentralized so that it can reproduce everywhere. Our church in this city can't reach everybody. Would you say that's true? I don't don't think one church in this city can reach everybody. We need lots of churches in this city. And we need lots of people who could be Jesus in this city and proclaim his message. We need to let it go viral. To go viral one relationship at a time. Just kind of like this image that I hope comes up on the screen. It's kind of like this. One person tells somebody, and then they, three, and they tell three people, and they, they tell some more people, and they tell more people. And that's how the gospel spreads. And if only the disciples could have recognized that. If only John the Apostle could have recognized that when they saw that guy casting out demons in Jesus' name. They should have said, hey, isn't that fantastic? It's contagious. He's doing it too, and he's not even one of us. Ministry needs to be decentralized. You don't need permission from us to do ministry. If you want to start a small group in your home or at a Starbucks or at a Tim Hortons, go ahead. You don't need us to tell you or to give you permission. Let us know about it so we can celebrate with you and pray for you. The Samaritan woman That Jesus said, I will give you water, living water, that you'll never thirst again. What does she do? He knew everything about her. He knew about her sinful past. What does she do? She goes back to the village, and she tells everybody about Jesus. And guess what happened? They became believers. Was she even a Christian yet? She just came, if anything, she was a baby Christian. And guess what's happening? People are coming to believe in Jesus. And so that's why Jesus says this in verse 42. 
He says, therefore, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to be drowned, basically is what he's saying. When Jesus had that little child, the Greek word there was paideon, paideon. When he talks about the little ones here, it's the word mikron or micron, which is where you get the word micro. And the little ones here didn't mean just children or babies. It meant somebody who was of no account. Somebody who was of of, of low rank. Somebody who may have been uh, a seeker, uh, a new Christian. Somebody maybe who was poor or disenfranchised. Somebody with mental health issues, kind of like this image. And, you know, we don't have a a ministry for people uh, who have Down syndrome. You know, so what if somebody came to our church and said, you know, I've got a child with a learning disability. What can your church do? Are we ready for that? Because Jesus is saying, when you welcome them, the little ones, no matter who they are, You welcome me. That man who was casting out demons in Jesus' name, he was one of the little ones because he was perceived as of no account. He didn't matter. He didn't matter. But you know what? In God's kingdom, everybody matters. And so Jesus says, don't make them stumble. Don't trip them up on their journey. They're doing good work, and you should not try to stop it. And then Jesus uses some really colorful language Not curse words, but just colorful imagery. Colorful imagery in verses 43 uh, to 47. And this is where he says, if your hand, you know, uh, causes you to stumble or someone to stumble, cut it off. If your foot does, cut it off. If your eye does, pluck it out. And he's speaking in hyperbole. It's a metaphor. He's basically saying, uh, it isn't worth it. And he is saying there's judgment for that. Don't do it. Celebrate what they're doing. Welcome them. We cause people to stumble when we treat them like second-class citizens. I talk to people in this church over the years. I've been here almost 14 years. I've had people say to me, I don't feel like we fit in. We feel invisible. I've had others say, I feel like people are judging us. I've had people say that. And that might be true. Or maybe it's not true. But the fact of the matter is, nobody should feel unwelcome in the church, in God's church. Every, this should, the bar, the tavern should not be the most welcoming place on earth. The church should be the most welcoming place on earth. Sometimes it's not. But we do hear about First Church. Most people I talk to just say this church is really welcoming. And remember I said this, everybody, here's Audrey. Everybody, be an Audrey. Be an Audrey. Reach out to people. I could probably use other names in here as well. So when we treat people like they don't matter, we're causing them to stumble. When we disregard their concerns or treat their concerns, their fears in a dismissive manner, we're making them stumble. You know what? If somebody is, uh, is concerned about something, if they're fearful, we don't run roughshod over them. We say, you know what? I, I don't want to make you afraid. 
I'll put the mask on. Doesn't matter whether you think it does any good or not. If they think it does some good, you put it on. If you're strong, if you're gifted, if you're knowledgeable, encourage those who are not. And so discipleship means that we need to cut away. He says here, you know, your hand, your foot, your eye. Metaphorically, we need to cut away anything and everything that makes people stumble, that limits their progress, or that limits the progress of the gospel. We need to cut out bad habits, resentments, resentments, ambitions, selfish ambitions, addictions that interfere with the work of God in our lives. Maybe it's a career. I had a friend years ago who quit his career because there was unethical practices taking place and he was asked to participate in them and he had a very high-paying six-digit salary. He eventually got something else. But it's not worth it, folks. We need to cut away anything that makes us stumble or that makes others stumble. So I'm not going to get to the rest of the passage about fire and about salt except to say this. That Jesus wants us to welcome all his little ones. To make room for them. In the kingdom of God, we all matter. And so what I want to do is we're just going to have communion. But I want us just to have a, a prayer of response this morning. And I want you to think about your church. Think about your small group. Think about yourself. And do a, a diagnostic test. Test yourself, the Bible says. King David became king after Saul was killed in battle. Saul made himself an enemy of David. He made himself an enemy of David. He persecuted David. And when David finally ascended the throne and became powerful, he became the king. You know what he said? He asked around, he said, is there anybody in Saul's family, the family of my enemy Saul, that I can show kindness to? And they said, yeah, there is somebody. He's a cripple. He's lame. He's disabled. His name is Mephibosheth. And he said, I want you to find him. And Mephibosheth comes and he's scared. He thinks that David is going to hurt him. And he said, no, no, don't be afraid. He said, I'm going to give you land and I'm going to get other people to farm the land for you because you're disabled. And you're going to eat at my table every day. You're welcome at my table. Mephibosheth was really of no account. He was an exile. He was a nobody. He was a fugitive. David knew that he was the grandson of his enemy. And he says, eat at my table. I will take care of you. That, folks, is the church. That's discipleship. 
And so what I want us to do is pray, and then Pastor Trent's going to come and lead us to the Lord's table because Jesus, Jesus, who is known as the Son of David, welcomes us to his table. Even though we were his enemies, he treats us like friends, and he invites us to come. So would you just pray this? And please pray it. Lord, I choose humility today. Teach me to put others before myself, to serve them. Just as you welcome me, may I welcome all the little ones that you place before me. Show me, Lord, that in your kingdom, everybody matters. And Lord, today, would you reveal to me the things I need to cut away in my life? The things I need to eliminate in my life. All the stumbling blocks that hinder me and others. If there's anything at all that the Holy Spirit's revealed, would you name it? Lord, today I choose Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for being with us today. May your Holy Spirit apply this message to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen.